the one kind of last beacon of hope Uh-oh. for 2020. That last beacon of hope for us to get some great entertainment. Although there have been some good things to come out in 2020, particularly early 2020. We've been getting some good things on streaming. But the one thing that's kind of like that shining beacon that we still got coming and is coming soon, October 30th, is Mandalorian Season 2. That is something we've all had circled. We know that it's not moving, unlike Wonder Woman 84, which is currently sitting on Christmas. I'm just waiting for the day that they announce that that's moving. But... Mandalorian is coming. We already got the first trailer for it. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get another trailer with some new footage that wasn't in the first one debuting tonight on Monday Night Football. Star Wars and Monday Night Football have proven to be in the past, Rob, a very successful combination for both getting brand new eyeballs on a Mandalorian or a Star Wars related trailer because not all football fans watch Star Wars. A lot of football fans, a lot of people watching those games. So you put that there. That's great. But it also has proven that it kind of boosts numbers on the ratings when they announce that a brand new Star Wars related trailer is going to be playing in front of it. Now, actually, the teaser for this thing made it online. I'm not going to play the uh, the audio for it here, but they played like a 15 second teaser for it. Uh, that was put out online. You can see a little bit of it there. It gives us a couple of little shots that we haven't seen before, and it just kind of announces that, yep, this thing is coming out tonight on Monday Night Football. Uh, And that's what we're all excited about. Rob, let me ask you this. Okay. What do you think about this? Number one, this kind of marketing strategy that Disney has employed leveraging their their football telecasts with with Star Wars. They've had some success for it. What do you think about them doing that with Mandalorian? And then what did you think about this little teaser? And what are you looking forward and hoping that we see or don't see in this new Mandalorian spot tonight? Well, the Seahawks had a bye week this week. So what the hell? They're dropping <laughs> Mandalorian trailers when no Seahawks games are on? No. <clears throat> uh, the Jedi Knights of the Pacific Northwest? No, I think this is... Uh, look, it's a good strategy. I, I think that, you know, the promoting this any way they can. You know, John, this is one of the shining beacons that we can look forward to at the end of 2020. Uh, one of probably one of the most hated years in my <laughs> lifetime. And, and the fact that we're getting any Mando at all, I, I love the fact that we're getting this. We're getting a whole new season. Um, I think everybody's excited about it. The world was taken by storm by Baby Yoda and and uh, the Mandalorian, and I think that I think that if anything, this is going to put a smile on everyone's face. You know how we are. We see one new shot. It's like, oh my god, there's a new shot. There's an effect. I just saw two Tie Fighters that I hadn't seen before. Like, wow. You know how that is. <laughs> we get all. You made a whole documentary about it. I mean, any shred of something that you haven't seen before, especially Star Wars related. I mean that. What did you call me? Crunchy, chewy, granola goodness? I don't know, but I feel the <laughs> same way uh, about that. I mean, I, I, I nowadays, show me a shot of spaceships fleeing from an explosion. The Razor Crest, fly, I'm in. Uh, I think it's, I think, why not? If Disney owns ABC, they own football, you know, ESPN, cross promote that shit. I want to see all of it as much as I can, whenever I can. I'll probably watch it a hundred times on YouTube after it debuts. I mean, who doesn't want to see more Mandalorian? Yeah, I mean, there there's going to be some things, though, that people are going to be looking forward to tonight. And I'll tell you one of the things that I do not believe, not know, I don't know, 
but what I don't believe we're going to see tonight. And that's the one thing a lot of people have been kind of scratching to see, at least people who are inexplicably fans of this character, because you know I'm Boba not. Boba Fett? No, well, no, Ahsoka. I think it's the oh. Ahsoka, uh, the Ahsoka character. Number one, I definitely don't think we're going to see Boba Fett in uh, in this. By the way, I don't know factually that we're going to get Boba Fett in the season at all. But if he is, I don't think they're going to put him in the trailer. I really, I think they're going to save that. Uh, you don't think quite. he'll show up at the end? Just walk out. And th I don't think so. I think they're going to save that again. I don't know. I don't know, but I don't think they will. I think they're going to save that, just like you know they saved Baby Yoda for the actual debut of the show. I think the one thing that a lot of people are kind of buzzing about is Ahsoka Tano, right? We know yeah. Rosario Dawson is playing your favorite her. character in all of my, Star Wars. My favorite character in all of Star Wars. <laughs> No, no sarcasm whatsoever. But but a lot of people are, are very big fans of that character. Sure. Some people were surprised that the character didn't pop up in the first trailer. But Rob, if you'll remember, I said, when the first trailer was coming out, I said, I, I, I'm not surprised. And when it did come out, I said, I have no surprise at all that they didn't put the Ahsoka Tano character in there. And here's why. She's only going to be in one episode. And I think if they, if they started populating the trailer with Ahsoka, it's going to create an expectation amongst fans that we're going to get a bunch of Ahsoka. Right. When the reality is she's only going to be in one episode. And so I think there is going to, there are two things at play here. They want to number one, manage expectations. They want to manage expectations because if fans feel like they're getting promised a bunch like if Ahsoka Tano fans just like fans of anything feel like they're getting promised a bunch of the character they're looking forward to right. and then it only ends up being one character there's going to be some backlash for that I, I mean understandably so there would be some backlash for that so number one I think they want to manage expectations number two I also think they really do want to keep her we all know she's coming but what does she look like what is Rosario Dawson going to come across like as that character and all like i think they want to keep that as a surprise i really do i number one so i don't only not expect to see ahsoka tano in the trailer tonight and by the way once again let me emphasize i don't know that she's not going to be in it they very well could i'm just saying i don't believe she will but i don't believe they're going to put her in there tonight because i really do think they want to save that uh, as a special surprise, they're going to keep everybody waiting to see what does Rosario Dawson look like. And by the way, they couldn't have chosen a better actress to do it. Like even right. I, who am not really a fan of the character, even I had to go, all right, yeah, you're putting yeah, Rosario yeah. Dawson in there. Even I have to be interested to see how this is going to look. Brilliant stroke on that casting. So I don't think we're going to see her. I really don't. And so I don't know, Rob, you know who I do think? I think we're going to get a lot more of Moff Gideon because I think this season yeah. is going to have a, a, a bigger emphasis on Moff Gideon. Rob, what do you think about it? Do you think we're they're going to give us shots of Jedi or other Yoda species character or ultimately you know, Ahsoka Tano, what do you think? Uh, I think you're probably right about that, but I've got a, I've got a question for you. Over or under, John, is Baby Yoda going to speak this season? Uh, give me a, give me a line. Give me a percentage line. Fifty percent. Way under. Oh, that's easy. Way under. Nope. No, no, no words from Baby Yoda. There, there isn't going to be like he's not going to lay one out, lay, lay, lay a word out, like something at the end of the season that he could speak this whole time, but he just hadn't had anything to say. No, I. If you had set the line at like, 
8%, I would struggle with whether to go over or under. Now, by the way, this is another one of those situations that I don't actually know. I don't know whether Baby yeah. Otis, just, just to be clear, I don't know that. That part, that's something I don't know yet. But I I said at the end of season one, when there was a discussion about will we hear Baby Yoda speak in season two, I said at the end of season one, I they're going to save that. I think there. I don't think there's any intention for them to do that in this uh, this season. Okay, I got another one for you. All right, if Baby Yoda speaks. Is Frank Oz going to do the voice? <gasps> oh, yeah, right. <sighs> okay, two answers to that. Number one, I would love it, but number two, it would not be Frank Oz because it's not actually Yoda. It's I know, a- but. But They'll maybe? get up some baby-sounding kind of voice. But, you know, they could get Frank Oz to voice it and then modulate it and yeah. digitize it. There would be something poetic. But at the same time, just get a child to speak. Just, I don't, I don't – oh, but, you know, but I wouldn't not, rule it out. not a child. He's 50 years old. Oh Well, by for that species – it's all relative. Right. For that species, right. that's still an infant. But, ah, that's a good one. I don't know. That's a good question. How bananas would the world go if Baby Yoda sounded like Baby Yoda? <laughs> I mean, I he mean, sounded uh, like a Muppet baby. Yeah, I mean, it would be, that would be out of control. You know, it's because I'll tell you, I watched your favorite horror movie this weekend, An American Werewolf in London, and oh, Frank Oz has a movie. bit a bit part in it. You know, he plays the 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 uh, American yep. ambassador who comes to check on David in the hospital, and it's it's still, he's only in one scene, and I'm convinced he was in London because he was performing uh, Yoda when they were shooting Empire Strikes Back. I mean, that might not be true, but who knows? Um, and that's why he was in the movie. <laughs> but but I think it'd be pretty cool. I guess I'm on a Frank. I, I'm thinking Frank Oz a lot, and I'm thinking why wouldn't they do that? That would be pretty neat. And why not think Frank Oz? Um, all right. Guys, the question is for you. What do you think about this? Are you excited to see this trailer? Maybe what I really love hearing from people is like, I don't watch football, but I'm tuning in to watch the new trailer. We've heard that said before. Are you going to tune in if you're not a regular football viewer? I am, so it's no big deal for me. But if you're not a regular football viewer, are you going to tune in to watch the new trailer? What are you expecting to see out of it? And then remember, there's a difference between what you want to see out of it and what you actually think is going to be in it. Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down, let's do one more off the top, and that is this. You guys will remember that uh, last week, some rumors started going around that a Spider-Man 3 had begun production in New York. Now, all these rumors came from a photo that was taken of a shooting notice that was put up on a street pole uh, that the government puts out so people know when something's going to be shooting in an area so they can plan accordingly. And I think the the working title of it said the film was Serenity Now, I I think, or something along those lines, something like that, which a lot of people had associated with being the working title for Spider-Man 3. Now, of course, it was possible, I said, that it's it's possible that could be what they're doing, but sometimes multiple projects will also use similar sounding things to throw people off and blah, blah. So we don't know for sure that that's Spider-Man 3 shooting. Well, now we do know for sure that Spider-Man 3 has actually or has started production on the film. And we know that because it's actually coming from a Sony executive. Now, this comes to us from a site called Murphy's Multiverse, but it's regarding a big cinematography convention called 
uh, Expo Cine. And basically what was put out was this, was they had a lot of different executives of the studios to speak. And this is what comes out of it. The most important update for me was the upcoming Spider-Man 3 sequel currently set to release in, in December of 2021. Camilla Pacheco the executive marketing director of Sony Pictures Entertainment in Brazil, who was also wearing a Spider-Man shirt, mind you, told attendees that the film had already started production and, this is the interesting part, and that we would get our first look at the film this December, like in two months, December 2020. She alternated between uh, the words preview and teaser trailer when discussing the project. But the point of the matter is we should be getting some info on the upcoming Spider-Man 3 film sometime for the holiday season. The film was confirmed to keep its December 16th, 2021 release date. And she also stated that the Morbius and Venom Let There Be Carnage films will still have a March 2021 and June 2021 release. And of course, we'll see how that goes and how that sort of all transpires. But the point she was trying to, that they're making there is this two big factors uh, of interest. Number one, they have indeed started shooting the film. That's good to know. It's the tangibilization of all the goodness. You know, we talk about that word a lot. But the second is a preview or a teaser or some kind of taste of the movie this December in just two months. Now, it would be understandable for somebody to hear that and say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's that's preposterous. They're just starting to shoot now. They can't possibly have something ready to show us in December. And I get where you're coming from on that. However, case in point, I would like to bring for consideration for the jury here Item number one, which is Guardians of the Galaxy. People's exhibit number one is Guardians of the Galaxy. Remember, they had only been shooting, what was it, Rob, like six days or something? Right. They, they had been shooting Guardians, the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, they had only been shooting for a number of days. And they literally just took the footage they had from those number of days and brought the first trailer to Comic-Con. Remember where they're doing the, the usual suspects lineup? That yep. was after just a couple of days of shooting. So they had something to show us. And remember, it's important to point out here that what she said specifically was they're going to have something to show us. That doesn't necessarily mean a full-fledged trailer. I don't expect them to give us a full-fledged trailer. Quite frankly, it's way too early for that for a movie that wouldn't be coming out for another year anyway. But they're going to give us our first little taste. I wouldn't expect anything much out of it. I don't think it's going to have any massive reveals. But they're going to just start teasing the audience. And you know what, Rob? I'm going to say this. Normally, a year out, I would say that's a bad move. Even just showing a little, a little tease, even just a little preview, under normal circumstances, I would say that is a bad move. Wait until we're like a few, like four months away or something. Sure. But this year, in this year of crap and garbage and refuse that we've had to wade through in what is the year of 2020, to remind everybody and keep everybody sad. Because remember, Marvel is going to be looking at this, and Sony, by the way, are going to be looking at this as a part of their overall movie offering packages. They want people excited about comic book movies. And in this year... That has been so awful, and we've had bad news, especially as film fans, bad news after bad news after bad news after bad news. To get in December, when we're probably close to when Wonder Woman would have opened, 
and all that kind of stuff. And to say, you know what, film fans? Here's something to cheer about. Here's something to be excited about. Here's something to get the mouth watering a little bit and show a little something of just the little bit of time they'd been shooting Spider-Man. And that will carry over, Rob. I think that's the kind of enthusiasm that will carry over for upcoming comic book films, be they, you know, Morbius and Venom or be they other MCU uh, properties or be they DC properties, whatever. I, I think it's just something that feeds into the overall picture. So normally, Rob, I think it's a bad idea. But in this circumstance, I think it's a good one. Rob, any surprise that they've already started production on this thing in a COVID hotbed of New York City, of all places? And what do you think about the idea of them launching a trailer come December of 2020? Well, I, you know, I think it's a great way to gin up interest. I mean, my God, how long has it been since we've had a Marvel movie? I mean, we've seen the trailer for WandaVision. Um, but I, I like this idea. I like, look, if you shoot for a day, you've got enough footage to do something with it. I mean, especially if you have just one scene where Spider-Man or Peter Parker walks into a room. What if he's just talking to Aunt May about what's he, what he's supposed to do today? I don't know. I love this idea. I love that they're going to do this. They're going to give fans. And look, they're making it for me, too, because I'd like to think that everybody does everything just to appease me. And I would love to get a Spider-Man. A taste of a new Spider-Man movie. Because we haven't got Morbius. We didn't get Venom. So why not show me some new Spider-Man? I mean, I'm in. I think it's great. And I think good for them for doing this. Because they're reminding us all. I mean, they're not just promoting. Remember, Sony's not just promoting Spider-Man anymore. Sony's promoting the entire Spider-Verse. And um, they, they've got they've got a lot riding on it. And the fact that they've already got two uh, arrows in their quiver with two Spider-Man spinoff movies basically ready to go next year. I, I mean, I, I, you know, I keep forgetting, there's two Spider-Man spinoff movies that are basically done. Morbius yep. and Venom Absolute Carnage, or whatever the heck it's called. I mean, that's crazy. Two, we, we had two Spider-Man spinoff the movies They're canceled. sitting in the can just waiting, si waiting to be I released mean, upon us. How crazy is that? That there's, and, and of course, Let's there's there's Black Widow, there's the Eternals, there's Shang Chi. I, I mean, it's so wacky to think how many great. Well, maybe not. We don't know if they're great or, or not. But movies that we're waiting to see, mm. like somebody can see them. Like it bothers me that Barbara Broccoli, who is you know producing the Bond movies, anytime she wants, she can watch No Time to Die. <laughs> I mean, like. I, I wonder if she's she's dating anybody because if she's on like, you know, I have a girlfriend, but I think my girlfriend would let me go take Barbara Broccoli out for a night and I could be <laughs> like, hey, Barbara, why don't we go back to your place? And then when we get there, I'm like, can we watch No Time to Die? Because <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just it, it's crazy, John, that these movies are done and they're just we haven't seen them. I mean, normally, you know, you, you you read about people waiting until like they're working on films like Peter Jackson working on the Lord of the Rings movies till the absolute literally last minute. And nowadays there's movies that are they're like they're they're in a jail somewhere that we can't see them. They're and sitting I, in a can somewhere. They're yeah. in a can on someone's hard drive. And I'm like, why are why aren't hackers? Why can why can all my information be hacked from every place? But nobody can hack. <laughs> Nobody can nobody can drop. Don't encourage no time piracy. To die on. Don't encourage piracy on I this know, show. I know, I know. But, but, but I, one is... one bit of confusion because I've seen some people mentioning this. A lot of people are, are, might be wondering, John, why are you guys talking in terms of 
Sony releasing a trailer in December of 2020. Sony doing this isn't it in the MCU. Don't forget, guys, that yes, while the while Marvel is producing the film, Sony is actually the distributor of the film. And yeah. it's the distributor that makes all the decisions about marketing, where it goes, when it's released, all that kind of stuff. That's always the purview of the distributor. And don't forget that even though Marvel's producing the Spider-Man movies, it's still a Sony distributed film so they're making those particular decisions but i think it's going to be beneficial for everybody guys question is for you what do you think about this number one that they're they are indeed shooting spider-man 3 right now but number two that they're saying we're going to get some kind of a teaser look this december normally i don't like it but i do in this circumstances how do you feel about it jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that all down and out of the way, let's now move into our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, you guys program them by going anytime 24-7. When you come across a really cool piece of movie news or television news, whatever, you head on over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campia Show. With that down, let's get into main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Preston Bell. And Preston Bell writes, what does he write? There he is. Preston Bell writes, so it has been reported on MovieWeb that two actors were seen on set of the Batman in Liverpool, one wearing a Wonder Woman costume and the other a Superman costume. Although they are probably only Halloween getups, is this any indication that the new Batman movie is going to be a part of a shared universe all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yes one of the big things that has been floating around the last 24 to 48 hours is the fact that on set of the new batman movie uh, a still has come out that has apparently revealed a couple of of the actors or extras on set wearing a wonder woman costume a superman costume and maybe even a couple of other things uh, we, we take a look at this here all right, take a look at this. This is the image that's been that's been kind of leaked out uh, from that set. We can clearly see a couple things that are obvious. Number one, a dude walking around in a Superman costume. Number two, a woman in a Wonder Woman costume. By the way, I want to point this out. Look at the Wonder Woman there. You see the hand she's holding her umbrella in. Look at her opposite shoulder. There is clearly a giant wing behind the opposite shoulder from which she's holding her umbrella. If you look behind that other shoulder, there's this big wing there and there's some guy behind her clearly talking to somebody. A lot of people speculating that's a hot girl. There might be a hot girl behind there. All right. The other thing that is plainly obvious here is that that is not Henry Cavill, nor is that Gal Gadot. <laughs> right? Nor are they really seriously trying to be passed off as such. So that much is clearly out. That's not supposed to be the DCEU Superman. That's not supposed to be the DCEU Wonder Woman. But Rob, it does raise a couple of really interesting questions. Questions like, okay, 
Um, there are a couple of possibilities here. Number one, Rob, you and I have both seen movie sets in the past where somebody wearing a mock-up costume is actually physically in place for somebody that will be digitally replaced later. There is a possibility, however radically unlikely, that these could be kind of stand-ins for a Superman or a Wonder Woman later on put in digitally. It's incredibly unlikely. It's incredibly unlikely. But I'd be remiss not to point out that that is one of the possibilities. Another possibility here is that this is, as uh, Preston wrote in, that this is some kind of Halloween, right? We've heard Matt Reeves say that one of the influences for this movie is the long Halloween storyline. So maybe it's Halloween and people are walking around in costumes. Okay. But if that's the case, if this is just like a Halloween, which is what it looks like, and we got people walking around in these superhero costumes, it raises a question of what does that mean for this universe that this Batman movie is in? Number one, possibility number one, this is a world that this Matt Reeves Batman film takes place in, Rob. This is a world that actually has a Wonder Woman in that world. They have a Superman in that world. Assumedly, not the Henry Cavill Superman, maybe a different variation of Superman, maybe a different variation of Wonder Woman. But possibility number one of seeing these people walk around in these costumes in the Batman movie is this is a world where Superman is, unlike the Christopher Nolan Batman films, where there was no Superman in that universe. There was no one. There were no, there wasn't anything supernatural in that universe. It was Batman. And that was it. So possibility number one of these costumes is in this Robert Pattinson, Pattinson universe, there is a Superman and Wonder Woman and other superheroes out there. Possibility number two is that in this Pattinson world, Superman and Wonder Woman and Hawkgirl and Mara and everybody else, they are all just fictional characters in that world. There's not a real Superman in that world. There's not a real Wonder Woman. But in that world, in Batman and Robert Pattinson's Batman's world, there are comic books with Superman, but he's not real. There are comic books with Wonder Woman. But then, Rob, if that's the case, this is where it gets really interesting to me. If that's the case, Rob, that these are Superman's a fictional character, Wonder Woman's a fictional character in that universe. If that's the case, does that mean that this Robert Pattinson Batman movie never could have a Superman since it's just a fictional character? You see why this one stupid little picture, this one dumb little picture raises a lot of questions as to what that could possibly mean because the however you answer that could carry some real interesting ramifications. That either Superman and Wonder Woman are there, Rob, or if they're just fictional characters in that universe, that we never could get a Superman or Wonder Woman in that world. It's really interesting. Anyway, Rob, before I get too carried away and go too far down that rabbit hole, number one, what do you think about the image and what do you think this image means? And are there any other possibilities that I'm overlooking here? What do you think about this? Well, the first thing that I thought of is that they're doing this to mess with the genre press for pundits like ourselves because, <laughs> be. because there's been a lot of negative press about Robert Pattinson left the set. He's difficult to deal with, you know, all these rumors about what's been going on there. And I think that, Hey, we're back filming. Why not just, it is Halloween. Somebody come on set and dress up as wonder woman and we'll have send Superman and we'll just take a picture and leak it and let people, 
speculate like we're doing right now. Uh, that I think that's one that's one possibility too. Like you said, you know, in this, the thing is the timeline. If you think about the timeline from, say, the um, the Zack Snyder films, uh, Batman had been Batman for a long time before Superman was ever on the scene. You know, when when we see at the beginning of Batman v Superman, Bruce Wayne has been Batman for a long time when Superman's battling Zod in the skies of Metropolis. And I think that um, uh, if if a young Batman, if there's already Superman and Wonder Woman in this universe, that means they've emerged to the point they emerged long enough ago that there's people are making Halloween costumes for them. I don't think that Superman and Wonder Woman are in this movie, and I don't think they're replacing. You know, they're going to digitally replace them. I I I. But if they are fixtures of this universe if batman or, or wonder woman and, and superman emerged earlier in this universe and batman came along much later and that's why there's halloween costumes or it, it just it just looks so incongruous that picture is such a weird if you look at everybody why are they there like it just it it they're it just I, it leads me to believe they're they're in costume which means that superman and wonder woman do exist in the universe or they're fictional characters I think this whole thing is fishy. I'll tell you what, Rob. I've heard. I've heard. Let me hear your opinion on this. I've heard one theory on this, which I actually think is very interesting. I read one theory that said, "Okay, hold on a second. Take a closer look at that Superman, and take a closer look at that Wonder Woman. This is clearly a Superman because what's he wearing? He's got the red under ruse over top of the pants. That's not the Henry, right? And that is clearly a Linda Carter." inspired kind of wonder woman costume so i heard one theory say this they're going to try to make this batman feel more like our regular world and that batman the real a real batman lives in a world where maybe there's no michael keaton tim burton batman movie but the christopher reeve superman movie is a part of this world that the christopher reeve superman movie was a movie that came out during Bruce Wayne's childhood, that the Linda Carter Wonder Woman in Robert Pattinson's universe was a television show that was on during Robert Pattinson's childhood. Do you think there's any kind of credence to that theory? Do you think that could be a possibility? Well, then, if, if you're going to say that, was there a Super Friends cartoon? You know, and without was Batman? there without, yeah, without Batman? Batman? Was there the, the Adam West Batman show wasn't about Batman? I mean, I think that 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 would be difficult to to reconcile because why would if if you've got superman and wonder woman and they're such you know they're anchors of the justice league there is no batman but i don't know i think that's a weird that's a weird thing to say but uh, it could be i mean there's no reason why you can't say that that isn't happening but i think it's odd because it opens up a lot of other questions like well why isn't there you know batman predates there there was a batman movie serial in the 1940s um predating the Superman, I think it predated Kirk Allen's Superman. I don't know which one came first, but I don't know. It just seems odd, but you never yeah. know. Again, never I just, it, it's so funny, Rob, that one little picture can cause so much, you know, delirium of what does this mean? I mean, I think there's a million different possibilities here. Guys, the question for you is simply this. What do you make of this photo? 
that gets leaked. What do you think is the intrinsic meaning behind it? What do you think it means that this reality is in this universe? That reality is there is a Superman and Wonder Woman in that same universe. No, there's not. They're just fictional characters. I don't know, guys. What's your interpretation of it right now? I'm sure we're going to find out that it's something that none of us have even considered at some point. But jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down and out of the way, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Diego uh, Maguino. And Diego writes, so it finally happened. New York Governor Cuomo has allowed movie theaters to open in the state of New York, except for New York City. How big of a difference do you think this will make or... Do you think most theaters will remain closed? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, listen, obviously the status of movie theaters and the movie theater industry has been a huge topic of a conversation because it affects the movie studios. It affects the movies. It affects us fans and all that kind of stuff. That's been a big topic of conversation around here for a long time. The movie theaters tried reopening. But they were only able to do it with extremely limited success for several reasons, one of which was the two most important movie markets in the world, New York, the state of New York and California, were not among those states and territories that were opening their theaters. These are the most important ones. And they did not open. That's been a major crutch. And as a matter of fact, when Regal decided to shut down again, when Regal decided to shut their doors, they noted a couple of reasons why, one of which was obviously the fact of there's not any new movies coming out, but they also made sure they mentioned the fact that we don't have movie theaters open in New York and LA. And if we can't have our movie theaters open in New York and LA, there's really not a lot of point for us. The fact of the matter is that we haven't had theaters open there has also been one of the reasons why some studios have been hesitant about even releasing under limited circumstances their films because, hey, What's the point of us putting this movie out if we don't even have theaters open in Los Angeles and New York? Well, there has been a bit of a change, a bit of a change, not wholesale, but significant. The state of New York has now come out and said that they are going to allow other than New York City itself, other than New York City itself, they are going to allow for movie theaters to open with 25% capacity or up to 50 people per theater, and they're going to start to allow these theaters to open in the state of New York, again, for now, with the exception of New York City. Obviously, movie theater owners are ecstatic. They're, they're thrilled. You know, we've heard from the uh, National Association of Theater Owners said they love this. We've heard from other theater chain CEOs saying this is fantastic and all that kind of great stuff. And it's good. Listen, in the grand scale, Rob, of is this good news or is this not good news? This is clearly good news. It's good news. The question, though, becomes how good? Like, okay, it is good news. Absolutely. In the world of positive or negative, this is positive. But how positive? How big of an impact will this make? Will, for example, New York State saying we can open theaters in the state, and there's a lot of significant cities in New York State other than New York City itself. Will that be enough to say, Rob, um, prompt Regal Cinemas to say, all right, if you're going to allow us to open New York and maybe California starts to loosen up even more, all right, we can reopen our doors. 
uh, I haven't heard Regal say that, by the way. I'm just throwing that out there. Could it be enough that a Warner Brothers says, oh, you're going to allow them to open in New York State? All right. We just may keep Wonder Woman 84 on that release date, believing that it will cause a domino effect of Regal Cinemas reopening and all that kind of stuff. Or, Rob, does this just stay as minorly positive news that now there will be some more communities that get to have some catalog films and things like that? Or or could there be bigger repercussions here? Rob, you hear about this news. Obviously, the theater industry is acting like this is a big deal. They're very, very happy. And, and that's great. I think you and I will both agree this is positive news, but how positive? Number one, Rob, how positive could it be? Like potentially how good could it be? And then realistically, uh, how positive do you think it'll be? How do you see this? Well, look, anytime uh, businesses are opening and and uh, money is flowing, people are getting paid, uh, people have places to go. I think that's a good thing. Um, on the other hand, you know, we have many states, we have 20% of the states in the United States that were reporting their single highest day coronavirus counts last week. And the real question is, how careful are the patrons going to be? I mean, are you going to wear masks? Are you going to take precautions? I mean, the theaters are going to take precautions, but are people going to? And I think that that's, I think it's really up to us. I mean, whether or not businesses and whether or not states can reopen is all on our and i say we as individual citizens it's it's up to us we have to take responsibility because as clean as the theaters can make themselves and as safe as they can make themselves only we can choose to also be as safe as we possibly can and i hope i hope we are i think it's a good thing that theaters are opening i i i'd like to see life come back to normal as much as possible but we also have to be the ones it's really up to us to take those kinds of precautions because we so far haven't done that. And of all the other countries in the world that have suffered uh, from this pandemic, we are by far the we as individual citizens are the most have been the most irresponsible. So I'm hoping that when theaters open, everybody has a good experience because, damn it, John, I, I want to go to movies now more than ever. How how. Could could a little move like this, Rob, could could a small thing like this, like uh, these theaters being allowed to op- open in this one state? What what is the best case scenario here? Could it cause some kind of domino reaction of, of OK, if this happens then this other positive thing could happen? Or do you think it's going to remain rather limited? How do you see it? Well, it really depends. Like, uh, ask me again, two or three or four weeks after these theaters have opened. And, you know, I haven't heard yet. I haven't heard anywhere where movie theaters have become any kind of a super spreader place. You know, for the most part, they haven't been. And the theaters that have been opened, uh, people have been having good experiences. You obviously had two experiences that were positive and other people seem to be having positive experiences. And I'm I'm hoping that ultimately it will be a good thing. I think more and more as places that are traditionally places where large numbers of people gather, if they're able to reopen safely – I think that's a big deal. You know, I think it's I think going into the new year, knowing that people can go to the movie theaters. I mean, that's something uh, I think that's can only be a positive thing. But again, it's going to be up to us. Are we going to take the responsibility that we need to take so these kinds of things can happen? All right, guys, the question then for you becomes 
What do you think about this news that New York State is going to be allowed to start rolling open their theaters? Is it just like, hey, that's great for people who live in those towns. They're going to get a little something. But that's pretty much as far as the good news goes. Do you think it could be something that sparks something like a regal say, you know what? Okay, we'll reopen our cinemas, which could maybe give studios more confidence. Or is that just dreaming a little bit too big at this point in time? What do you guys think? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets sent into us by Colton M. And Colton M. writes, Hey, John, over the weekend, I watched the trial of the Chicago 7. And I have to say, that was the best movie so far this year. What are your thoughts and thanks? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, I did, even though I admittedly was a little bit behind, I did finally have a chance this weekend to sit down and watch the trial of the Chicago 7. Now, look, there's a few things some of you guys who watch me regularly know. I don't have a lot of faith in quote-unquote Netflix original movies. And by Netflix original, that can mean anything from films they produce themselves to films that they just acquire from other production companies that have made them. There have been the odd really good one, you know, to Five Bloods, The Irishman, uh, The Old Guard, for example. But, you know, for me, for the most part, for every one the old guard, there's about literally 40 or 50 other pieces of absolute forgettable trash. So I don't have a lot of faith right now in Netflix original films. And so the Chicago seven comes along and look, I'm interested in instantly interested in trial of Chicago seven because of a couple things. Number one, Aaron Sorkin, who is like just simply one of the best screenwriters in the world. Um, on top of that, he's directing it. His first directorial effort was Molly's Game, a film I felt should have been nominated for Best Picture of the Year. I thought he did a phenomenal job on that. Yep. Beyond that, look at the cast, right? Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, uh, Eddie Redmayne, on and on. This is a stellar, stellar cast. And I'm a sucker for things based on true stories. So, okay, despite the fact that it's got sh shuffled off to Netflix, I sat down and watched it. And Rob, I'm going to tell you right now that Trial of the Chicago 7 is now my favorite movie of the year. Wow. I, I think it's the best movie of the year. And I say that, you know, The Gentleman was my number one favorite. I absolutely loved another Netflix one they did, Defy Bloods. Delroy Lindo probably would still get my Best Actor of the Year Academy Award right now. But I'm telling you, this movie fulfilled every possible expectation I had and then added elements to it that I didn't even think they would. First of all, let's talk about Aaron Sorkin for a second. The creative decisions and the way he tells stories was such a perfect fit for this historical event of what happened. I was kind of taken aback, Rob, when the movie began with the trial starting. Like, I expected them to do the traditional thing, you know? You know, the traditional thing that you do with a movie like this. You start with the events that led us there. I figured it was going to start with the protest at the Democratic National Convention. I thought it was going to start with all that. And then maybe about 20 minutes into the movie, we'd get to the trial. But Aaron Sorkin does this really neat job of hopscotching back and forth between starting with the, tr the beginning of the trial, then 
as the movie progresses going back a little bit and showing us what relates to that now new moment that's happening as the trial's unfolding and it's something that can become very convoluted and very confusing very quickly but Aaron Sorkin tells it in such a way that it flows so naturally and so beautifully that it's just incredible. And by the way, I continue to be shocked and surprised by the incredible talent level level of Sasha Baron Cohen. This dude ain't just Ali G. Sasha Baron Cohen is not just Borat. This dude legitimately is a wonderful actor. And I don't know that he's ever been better than he was in Trial of the Chicago 7. The exchanges between Sasha Baron Cohen and Eddie Redmayne's character, for example, are riveting. Like, absolutely riveting. And yes, a lot of that has to do with the dialogue and the script done by uh, Sorkin, but it's also the performances of both these guys elevates it. And uh, again, I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, whose career is just taking off like nuts. Like most people have never even heard of him by the time Aquaman came around. And now it's like he appears in every other project that's getting announced. And that's great for us because this dude's crazy good and he's crazy good in this movie. When Michael Keaton pops up in the movie, he owns the screen. Like every second the Michael Keaton's on the screen. It's just it's a small role, but every moment and every scene that he's in, he just owns the screen and an ending that I'm going to do a separate editorial for a little bit later today, actually. there's Most people, I think it's got a 93% right now. I think Trial of the Chicago 7 has a 93%. One of the down things that a lot of critics are talking about saying, ah, they didn't really love the absolute, like the end, end, end of the movie, the last scene of the movie. But I actually contend it is an absolutely brilliant scene. And I'll do an editorial on that a little bit later today about why the ending of the Trial of Chicago 7 was fantastic. But I'll get to that a little bit later. Overall, Rob... This movie was brilliantly written, directed with a seasoned director's touch, with brilliant performances that already took excellent material and elevated it even more. It brought and shone a spotlight on an event that has happened in American history that is shockingly and frighteningly applicable to a lot of the things that we are facing today. It is a brilliant film. And so on two levels, number one, it is the best movie of the year so far for me personally. It is the best movie of the year so far and easily for me, the best original movie that Netflix has ever done. And and that is saying that that they put out some other excellent ones, The Irishman, The Five Bloods, what have you. But I was so surprised, Rob, with this movie. I was so pleasantly shocked by it. It, it went into places I wasn't expecting. Um, I absolutely love, love this movie. Um, Rob, I don't even know. You and I have not talked about this. I don't even know if you had a chance to watch this movie yet or not. But but what are your thoughts going into into this film? Well, I'm first of all, I'm a huge Aaron Sorkin fan. You know, I, I've, I've loved a, a few good men, uh, the American president. I love the West Wing. Uh, the Social Network, I think, is one of the most rewatchable movies ever made. And he wrote that script. And I loved Molly's Game. Uh, really liked Molly's Game a lot. Uh, I thought he did it. It's one of my favorite debuts from a director. But, you know, he'd been around for almost 30 years making TV and movies. So it's not surprising how good. I mean, Sports Night was great. So I have not seen this yet. Uh, it was something I was going to watch this weekend. I was just busy working. I can't wait to watch this movie. I'm probably going to watch it tonight. tonight. I, I'm, I'm excited about the, the whole case. 
all of this is such an interesting period of time and all of these uh, historical figures really interesting. I, I just I can't wait to see this. I, 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 I love that he made this movie. So I'm really excited. By I the didn't way, realize that it had dropped. You sent me a text yesterday and you just all it said was watch the trial of the Chicago seven. <laughs> like you don't normally send me. T- I'm like, at first I'm like, should I do that for the show? And then I realized, no, you were blown away by it. And that's why yeah. you sent me the text. <laughs> yeah. And listen, by the way, you can't talk about Aaron Sorkin, obviously, if you're not if you don't also mention the West Wing. Yeah. Uh, I got to say this weekend, this past weekend was marvelous for me because I don't know if you saw but HBO Max. Oh, did a, yes. Did you watch it? Okay. Yes, for those who don't know, HBO Max did, speaking of Aaron Sorkin, who, of course, did uh, West Wing, one of the greatest television shows of all time. And they got the cast back together again to not just, you know, it's big on YouTube during the pandemic has been getting some cast together shows to do script read throughs. Yeah. Well, they went one step further. They got the original cast together, got them in costume and did a stage performance of a key uh, episode they did that encourages voting. So they picked one of the episodes that was really about voting, encouraging people to get out and vote. And that was what this whole thing was, was for was to encourage people to get out and vote. And they did this episode God, Rob, it was so good. It was so good. This little HBO Max one hour and 15 minute thing. All I wanted to do was go back and start binge watching the West Wing again. I know. Like, <laughs> dude, what, what's what stood out to you? But by the way, and obviously the guy who played John um, Spencer, to John who Spencer, who, McGarry. who played the chief of staff, he passed away during the final season of the show. And who did they go out and get to play? Sterling. Sterling Brown, they went out to go get the Emmy-winning actor. They brought him in to play the role of Leo. Yeah. He he didn't miss a beat. He crushed he was, it. Oh, crushed. he was so good. So good. If you have guys, first of all, I don't know. I don't know if you've never seen The West Wing, if you'll be able to appreciate as much as people who have watched The West Wing. But I'll tell you this: if you watch this HBO Max special, you'll probably want to go and binge watch The West Wing. It's just so good. I loved it. Anyway, guys, trial of the Chicago 7. We're talking about Aaron Sorkin here. Trial of the Chicago 7. I highly, highly, highly recommend it. I don't know if it'll end up being my favorite film of the year by the time the year ends. But as of right now, for me personally, it's the best film of the year. Question is, guys, for those of you who have seen it on Netflix already, what did you think about it? Jump down into the comment section below and leave us your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, let's now move on and start taking your live comments and questions that you guys have been firing in. If you want to get a live comment or question on the show, simply go to the tip link that's at the top of the description of this video. You can just click on it there and you can send them in anytime 24-7 or you can do it right now or enter it in manually streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. All right, guys, let's jump on over and start taking these comments and questions coming in. Uh, we're going to start things off here with where are we at worth willow who writes on the issue of marketing a movie like soul uh was that why they made those misleading trailers for bridge to terabithia my friend who hasn't read the book actually thought it was going to be a fantasy film like narnia and it's it's funny you mentioned that willow because we specifically in the documentary we specifically talk about that bridge to Terabithia thing. Rob, you bring it up in the uh, in the documentary. For those of you who don't know, bridge to Terabithia, and you can go and find the track. And again, we talk about it in our documentary, but 
when you go back and watch the trailers for Bridge of Terabithia, it looks like the next Narnia movie. It looks like this fun, whimsical <laughs> fantasy adventure. And it is not at all. It's New. completely different and a child dies and it's just about the small town and coming to grips, one kid coming to grips with the death of another small kid and whatever. But Rob, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who I, what was the name? Was it a war uh, Walden pictures? I think might've done. Yeah. Walden, Bridget Walden uh, media. And they did the Narnia movies as well. Right. So I was actually talking to a friend of mine who worked at Walden media when that movie came out and they said, um, Oh yeah, we all knew that we were putting out a blatant lie. And when some of the employees of Walden asked like the executives in charge, like, why are we putting this trailer out? And the literal answer, the line around Walden media was you can't sell a movie about a kid dying. And so, and, and it is one of the most deceptive trailers of all time, but that's sometimes the, the, the conundrum, I guess, that these people face. You're trying to sell a movie. You're trying to get people to buy tickets. You need to do so as honestly as possible, but, oh, that's one of the big robs. Rob, can you think of another one maybe that we had, we didn't cover in our doc or something that is a really like startling uh, example of like a, a trailer that just completely misled its audience? God, it's hard I mean, to think not, of one that we didn't cover in our in the documentary. Not to that extent, I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really think of anything that goes that far. Yeah, um, totally misleading. Yeah, I yeah. All right, all right. Let's move on to the next question, then, shall we? And the next one up that we're going to cover comes to us from the Wakandan Forever, and the Wakandan Forever writes. Uh, let's see here. Sorry, I'm having some problems with my display here. Uh, Wakanda Forever writes, Oh, rejoice. Saw New Mutants yesterday. Oh, I'm glad you had a chance to see it. Was the first time I set foot in a theater in almost a year. It took me three, three hours of travel to a new city I've never been to to do it, but it felt good to walk through the doors uh, and be home again. So I know how you feel, John. I'm telling you what, that was such an amazing feeling for me. When I made the drive out to Las Vegas so I could go watch New Mutants, just I hadn't been in a movie theater in six months. And just walking in there was such a glorious feeling. It was really good. And I'm glad you were able to have that experience with Condon Forever. All right, Jay Bling writes, I rewatched Endgame and something bothered me about it. Ebony Maw says the future Nebula carries a timestamp from nine years in the future. But that's nine earth years 2014 to 2023 wouldn't a year be different for thanos and co lol okay here's the thing though i get what you're saying i totally get what you're saying but rob this is the type of question that comes up in sci-fi all the time yeah it's like uh why are they speaking english <laughs> what why are they speaking english like how is how does that make sense uh, be, there are sometimes things, particularly in wild fantasy or wild, like, why did they use that? Like, we're watching a sci-fi film and say, well, no use crying over spilt milk. Wait a minute. That's an earth saying. How, just sometimes, particularly in fantasy and sci-fi, Rob, they'll just do things for the sake of ease and being able to bring the audience along and make it understandable to the audience. And 
I guess. Rob, how would you address it? How would you answer that? Like, Well, I mean, there, you know, why in Star Wars is there sound in space? You know, it's a vacuum. There's no sound. There's no explosion noises. As a matter of fact, there wouldn't even be fire in space. So when something blows up, you wouldn't see an explosion. I mean, there's just when you when you start drilling down into these things, they all become patently absurd. Like I was, I'm a big Star Trek fan, obviously. So the idea about English, you know, how do you explain that in universe? Well, it's because everyone has universal translators on their person in some way, shape or form. So you can talk to people. But I mean, it's just a conceit that you have to go with. And if you really start if you really start making those kinds of comments or observations that way lies madness because once you point one thing out there's 25 other things that are also true that would be like well this couldn't possibly be like the idea of a year you know what if like we call something a year because that's how long the earth takes to orbit around our sun but what if you have a much bigger sun and the planet takes your planet takes six times longer to go orbit around the sun you wouldn't even have a year you wouldn't even know what that was it would be a whole different frame of reference and a frame of measurement because look we think of our lives our lives are based on years like we think like when you get to be 80 years old you know you what what your expectation is of life expectancy and that's based on how long it takes us to go around the sun but every planet you're going to find is going to take longer or shorter so nobody would have years. So the idea of how you would measure that time would be totally different depending on where you were in the galaxy. It would never be the same because we're the only planet that has a year, you know? Yep. Again, it, like it, you can go through tons and tons and tons of sci-fi. It's just one of those things that is that an odd inconsistency? Yes. But we just accept it for the sake of storytelling. Yeah. All right. Otherwise, next, where are you going to be? Where, where you have to have some frame of reference, right? Some common point of reference. You're absolutely right. All right. Next up, uh, Suthius writes, "Hey guys, after catching a bit of the round table, I immediately went to uh, the Pete. That's the Portland Film Festival and unlocked your movie. Two thumbs up for me. Thoroughly enjoyed it. If you were to pack up the John Campus show tomorrow to make way for more directing and or producing, uh, I would be okay with it. Excited to see your next project. Hopefully, perhaps a collaboration." of co-directing with mr burnett one day uh when do sorry, i'm surprised here uh when do you think we can start asking questions about specifics and details about the movie great job to you and your team well thank you so much and yeah i did a it was a really fun director's roundtable i got to do um over there with the portland film festival and thank you to nbc universal and comcast for for sponsoring that that whole thing and making that happen and it was a great experience for me um we won't be talking about details about my movie until I actually, at least after I release the movie. <laughs> I haven't released the movie yet. Uh, uh, probably looking at releasing the movie before the end of the year. Uh, that's when I'll release it. And uh, I do already have my next project in mind. Um, I've got, uh, you know, I still have a lot of details to work out, but I've got what my next project in mind already kind of lined up, and I'm looking forward to doing that. And it was a terrific experience. And thank you so much, Suthius. And for all those of you who did get a chance to see the film at the Portland Film Festival, please make sure you vote for it uh, for the festival. And uh, thanks again for that, Suthius. I really appreciate it, man. Uh, and I cannot wait to share my movie with everybody. I'm really excited about it. All right, Ben Rayner writes. Hey, John, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Out of these two meh movies... 
who did who did better bringing someone back skywalker with palpatine or golden circle with colin firth's character i say kingsman golden uh, the golden circle because at least you saw how they did it so there's that i i would say that both of these are bad films um both of these are bad movies but i they at least rob they at least tried in golden circle to give a tangible explanation for how is colin firth's character here again they at least right. tried to do that right and i gotta tell you i love that i don't know that i would have been interested in the sequel without colin firth's character i probably would have been because i love the first one so much but uh they at least tried so i'm gonna give the nod to that one what would you say yeah i mean <laughs> Well, it, you know, it's not like it's unprecedented. Sean Connery's in Highlander too. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I, it was pretty. I mean, the thing is, his death in the first movie is a big deal, and I mean, I understand that. I think, like, give, give them, they did the old college try. They, you know, sometimes I think when they make these movies, I mean, we take them so seriously that we want some kind of continuity, but. They could have just not even addressed it. Just put him, put him in the movie and not said anything. But they did. They. I kind of feel the same way, you know, that you did. I mean, Frank Darabont coming off, you know, coming off of Shawshank Redemption, and and you were. I was expecting that kind. I thought the Majestic was going to have like a Cinema Paradiso vibe to it, um, or a Truman Show vibe, you know. And I, I, I was sort of. I don't know if it felt like it was trying too hard. It just didn't work for me the way I wanted it to. I I went into that movie expecting that I was going to love it. I mean, it was it was right up my alley. I mean, it was, it was going to touch on everything I loved growing up. Obviously, being a film fan and going to the movies and all and, and small town America. I mean, all this stuff, and it just didn't work. Not very well, at least. Yeah, yeah. Like I said. I- and I don't know, maybe if if it wasn't for that fact that it felt like that forced pivot that they were trying to, that might have kind of blurred it a bit. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I didn't like it that much. Not a bad film. I, I did, Again, I didn't think it was bad. It just didn't really work for me per se. All right. Uh, next one up. We've got Alex uh, Bates who writes. Uh, City of Lies just got released with no advertising here in Australia. Saw it and loved it. Uh, Has it been released in the States too? If not, do you know why? It saddens me this story didn't get the wide release it deserves. Appreciate your work. Uh, Listen, I'll be straight up with you. I have no idea what has been released and what hasn't been released. Uh, Because the reality is the films that are getting released in films right now or in, in theaters right now, they're not getting marketing pushes. Because they don't want to spend the marketing money on it because they right. already know it's it's going to be – they just can't recoup the marketing money. So as of right now, other than New Mutants and Tenet, I, I really don't know. I, I haven't been able to keep my finger on the pulse of what's actually releasing in theaters because – and quite frankly, there's a little bit of a selfish part to me. I can't go see anything that's in theaters anyway because the theaters around me aren't open. Like if I really want to go see a movie, I got to get in a car and make an hour and a half round trip to go to Anaheim where Disneyland is. I, 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 and so I haven't really been keeping my finger on that pulse. So there you have it. But nobody's spending money on marketing right now, Rob. Like, are you familiar with like other things that have been getting their theatrical releases and or they have been flying under your radar too? Well, only no, only because, you know, we read the entertainment news every day. The Liam Neeson film, you know, what is it? The Honest Thief. Which that I wanted to see. I wanted to I see that. I want to see too. That, that opened this weekend and I'm, I'm, I'm like... 
It made like three and a half million dollars or something. And I, I knew it was coming out only because I read about it. We'd seen the trailers, but I saw virtually no marketing saying that it was opening this week. And it's it's sort of weird. You know, you read about it in Deadline on today, Monday morning, how well it did. But and, and like, ooh, Tenet crossed $50 million domestic. I'm like, great. That's <laughs> fantastic. Tenet's still playing in the theaters. I, wow. I, st- I still I still got to disagree with you on that. I think that's not bad given the circumstances. Yeesh. I mean, given normal circumstances, it's an absolute <laughs> utter disaster, of yeah, course. But, <laughs> but given the circumstances, I still personally think that's pretty good. I mean, it's cro- it's it's getting isn't it approaching 350 million worldwide now at this point, which, again, under normal circumstances, it's pretty awful. But given the circumstances, I think that's better than a lot of people probably thought it was going to do. Yeah, maybe. I, I mean, it's just it's just such a bummer. You know, yeah. all that time and money and effort put into making that movie, and which I still haven't seen. Can't believe it. I can't believe I haven't seen it. Well, it's, it's, it's certainly actually we're thinking about me and my friends were just talking yesterday about booking out a theater at AMC in Riverside, the AMC Tyler Galleria in Riverside, California, which is open. Uh, we can rent the theater for one hundred and sixteen dollars, I believe. To have 20 of us go in, just 20 privately, just 20 of us can go in and watch Tenant. And if oh, we do, dude, I, I'd go. maybe you should come I'd along with us. Yeah. Yeah. We'll be, we'll just mean, be us and our group. So nobody else. I mean, so maybe you should come along and watch it with us when we do that. All right. Let's move on here. Uh, next one up is Mike C. Who writes one of two. Hey, John. When you said The Last of Us 2 is the greatest story in gaming, I had my doubts. I just finished the game, and even after being heavily spoiled by seeing how most of the fan base hated it. By the way, that's a misnomer. Most of the fan base did not hate it. A very, very loud segment of people who hated it, some for legitimate reasons, some for not so legitimate reasons, uh, were were the most vocal about it. But when you really look at the actual feedback that came in on it, most people really like that game, but there were a lot of people who didn't. And like I said, there's there's a chunk of those who didn't like it for legitimate reasons. So there it is. But yeah, I thought it was the greatest storytelling I've ever seen in a video game, period. Uh, at any rate, um, I would have to agree with you. Uh, I love the moral ambiguity in the stories, and I've never been this emotionally affected by a game in a while, nor have I seen a story show all perspectives of a conflict in such a balanced manner. I really hope for a part three, even though the ending is a 10 out of 10. I am still telling you, I still am haunted by how good the story of The Last of Us 2 is. And Rob, you have a saying that you use once in a while. I have kind of a derivative of it, but you always say um, everybody's got a story that you just haven't heard yet. There's a derivative of that that I've heard that everyone you meet is fighting a battle that you don't that you're not aware of. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you're not aware of. And the fact that this game and I won't go into big spoilers, the fact that, you know, all video games really tell their stories from a certain perspective. That's how most stories are told. And that's great. This one really flips the switch. And all of a sudden, you're looking at the events from a completely different perspective. And I thought it was brilliantly done. I, I really, I have never been, I, and I was totally into God of War, but I'm telling you, I have never been as enthralled in the story that a game has presented as I was in the story of The Last of Us 2. 
I thought it was powerful and bold and unique and original and very satisfying. Like I, I, I was, woo, God, I love it. It's so good. If you guys haven't played the game, I highly encourage you to play it. If you don't want to play the game, there's like a 12 hour cutscene movie of it uh, that you can watch on YouTube. And it was just fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. All right, Rob, I know you haven't had a chance to play Last of Us 2, right? You haven't played no. Last of Us 2. Okay, well, I, whew, I, I, if you ever got a week to kill, to kill some time, watch that cutscene movie. It's, <laughs> it's so utterly powerful. I just loved it. Anyway, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up, we've got Caleb who writes, to me, there are only two major comic book characters so ruinous that it would be nearly impossible to have a live action movie with them as a significant part and, and be good. There are Robin, specifically the comic, comic accurate 12 year old kid and Mr. Freeze thoughts. Oh, I, I, Mr. Freeze. I don't know. I think Mr. Freeze represents a very unique opportunity to do something good, but it would require adaptation. It would require a form of adaptation. Not as much adaptation as a Robin. Like I've always said, hey, look, you want to heavily adapt Robin and bring him into a live action movie? You can do that. It's just that you're going to have to do some heavy adaptation. You, What you cannot have is what happens in the comic books and in some of the cartoons. You can't have a 12 or 11 year old kid with a stick running around in a fight with mobsters who have machine guns. Can't do it. Um but you can adapt it and say Robin's 18 years old. Uh, say this, say that. So what, there are many things you can do to adapt it. And if you adapt it, that's great. But there are those. Rob, can you think of any superhero characters like from comics that may work really, really well in comics? But if you're going to bring them over and tr try to do something live action with them, there's going to have to be a significant amount of adaptation for it to work in that medium. Can you think of any off the top of your head? Well, off the top of my head, my beloved Moon Knight, who's basically wearing white you know and we're getting a moon night I, I know and i'm like it, it's always it, on one hand when you're drawing moon night on comic pages like when bill sinkevich draws moon night he can draw him with lots of shadows because moon night is out at night but what what is his dry cleaning bill like <laughs> i mean you know one one fight he goes out into the world and and his costume is going to get dirty and I, I just feel like you look at these things like how how does this work, <laughs> you know? And I think that's I think that's problematic with a lot of of superheroes, not just their costumes, but you know, go the the, the MCU has done a pretty good job making us believe in all of these heroes. And I always go back to the example of the Captain America outfit they gave him when he was leading his commando unit. Um, even though it's clearly a Captain America costume, it looks functional. It's not like the one he was doing the USO tours in, which is the classic comic uh, uniform. But they gave him like a military fatigues uniform that look, even though it's Captain America, it looks like it was functional in battle. And I think the MCU has been really, really good about that. But I think a lot of a lot of superhero characters would just look ridiculous in the real world unless their costumes were rethought uh, to where you could look at them because you, you'd ask yourself, why are you dressed this way? You know, <laughs> I feel that way about a lot of superheroes. Like, why Why do you, like, why, in the real world, why would you possibly wear this costume? Like, even when I watch The Boys, I'm thinking to myself, why does Homelander have those, like, metal eagles on his shoulders? Don't those get in the way? You know, weren't those, it looks cool. 
but it doesn't seem like it's really functional in terms of having to go out and do things. Wouldn't right. they? But remember, in the boys though, they are meant to be marketing machines. They are meant that, to be. That is true. That is true. Which is different is from the other shows that you're referring to. All I right. Mean, I just uh, think that yeah, it's, it's it's. I think all superheroes are eventually. It's that's why it's hard to do them well. That's why it took so long to live in the world that we live in now where we get these great comic book entertainments because look at – if you go back and you look at like the challenge of the Justice League or even what Daredevil and Thor look like in the old Hulk TV movies, yeesh. By the way, rough. I love that one with Hulk. Odin! <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why. That was a guilty pleasure of mine. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, next up, we've got um, – who let's see bigged who writes hey john big fan thank you so much uh been watching since the amc days my question is with season three of american gods coming have you been keeping up with the first two seasons and what are your thoughts thanks and bring on the filthy you know what i haven't been keeping up i watched the first season of american gods and i really liked it i liked it i, I honestly it had its problems as as a show it had its problems but i was still hooked and then it got to the end of season one. and But for whatever reason, Rob, I never just got around to watching season two. I, so to this day, I've still not season two. So no, I watched the first season. I really quite enjoyed it. I never read the book, um, but I never did watch season two. Did you get caught up with it? Have you been watching American Gods? No, and I loved the first season of American Gods. I loved it. But then they got rid of the showrunners. They got rid of Brian Fuller. And when uh, I had no interest after that because the, the 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 show was such a mix of of Neil Gaiman's book and Fuller's sensibilities, which I'm a huge fan of. Once he was gone, I had no interest in coming back and watching the show because it wouldn't be the same show. And and I, I didn't understand why they got rid of him, but so I've never gone back to watch it. All but right, I love uh first season. Uh, yeah, the first season was great. All right, let's move on here. The Wakandan Forever writes, um, Bravo Century Theaters. Tenet was amazing. Don't worry that you can't hear or understand. Shuri explained the details. Health precautions were serious. Literal, uh, literally, urinals were taped, taped six, feet, six feet apart. I felt safer than ever I have in a restaurant or a grocery store. That's really been my experience as well. That's been my experience. In, in the two times I've gone to movie theaters... Uh, once to see New Mutants, once to see Tenant, it's been great. Uh, the great safety precautions. Again, mine was the same as yours. I went to the bathroom. I realized only every third urinal stall was open, so you couldn't even stand beside somebody there, which was which is good. They really went all out and did a really really good job. And like I said, made me feel very secure. And I'm glad you had that same experience too. James Argento writes, most likely to see in the Mando first look tonight: Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, or Slave One. Most likely, I would say Bo-Katan. I think it's Again, I don't know that we're not going to see Ahsoka Tano in the trailer. I don't know that. I just really doubt it. I have really, really high doubts they're going to show her in the marketing. Because, uh, again, she's only going to be in one episode. So I'm not – I want to make sure – they probably want to make sure they, they manage expectations. Uh, but I think Bo-Katan. I think that's a possibility. I think that's one that could – so I would say out of those possibilities, Ahsoka, Boba Fett, Bo-Katan, or Slave One, I think the most likely we're going to see is Bo-Katan. Rob, if you had to say one of these is the most likely that we'll see in that trailer tonight, which one do you think it's going to be? Well, I mean, I know we talked about it, but I, I, I think that – look, what's a trailer supposed to do, John? Get people excited. 
And I think if they did drop a little Ahsoka, even if she's in shadow, people are going to go bananas. So I would assume I would uh, I think that we would see Ahsoka Tano first because she's much more of a draw. I just I I think they're going to try to keep that secret. I think they're going to try to keep that secret. But I agree with you, though. I agree with you. I think they probably will as well. All right, let's keep going here. James Germain writes, Hey, John, what weekend A from the West Wing? Oh, what? What a weekend from the West Wing special on HBO Max to Kid Detective in theaters, which I saw in Showcase Theaters, which was awesome. And did you see that Love and Monsters uh, with Dylan O'Brien got a 90% critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes? Keep it filthy. Yeah, we were talking about that the um, before the weekend. We were talking about that Love and Monsters. Again, it looks like a total ripoff of like Zombieland or Warm Bodies. It looks like a complete ripoff of those movies. But it still looked really good and it still caught my interest. And again, that West Wing special, I loved it. I I just ate it up. And a lot of that was probably because I am a big fan of the original series, but I thought it was really well done. It was creative and original. And between being able to watch that and watching Trial of the Chicago 7, some also really really good ufc card that was on as well it was a good weekend for me watched some good football yesterday it was a good weekend for me all right an anonymous viewer writes take this with a grain of salt but there is a piece of leaked concept art that appears to show ray confirming palpatine uh confronting palpatine shown before the release of the force awakens so i think that maybe palpatine's return was at least in the back burner listen all we all i can say is this we have heard from several people associated with the movies and and lucasfilm that Palpatine was never a part of the original plan. We've heard that confirmed a million times um, from people who actually work there. So we, we've seen it that in the trades, we've seen those reports. So again, I wasn't there, so I can't speak to it myself. But uh, when you look at it, it's very clear Palpatine was never part of the plan. And then when you hear from all these other people that are connected with Lucasfilm saying, no, that was never, never a part of it. That was never part. Uh, Daisy Ridley herself said that was never a part of it. So, again, I I don't know what this supposed leaked thing is. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know that whatever that is and whatever validity or lack of validity it has, you have to stack it up against this mountain of evidence that other people say who are connected say, no, that was never part of it. Now, again, I wasn't there, so I can't say with any certainty. But to me, it makes it pretty clear. But that's just me. All right. Anyway, next up. Uh, certified lover boy writes saw the boys season two loved it but one person that kind of annoyed me was Huey I don't hate him but outside of the last two episodes all he did was complain scream and very and and very contributed little I think you probably meant very contributed very little uh, to the crew kind of like your boy Tyrese in Fast and Furious do you agree no I completely disagree Um, Huey Rob I want to know what you think about this but to me Huey he is the moral north star. He he's he's their moral north star. He's the one who keeps Butcher from becoming the monsters that he hates so much. And I think throughout season 2, he's constantly you constantly see him being that anchor. And like even in the earliest episodes of season 2, you even see like Mother's Milk like referring to this. It's like, "Listen, Butcher, you need him. We need him." Um and all that kind of stuff. Not to mention 
like his connection and the work he does with Starlight becomes pivotally important to, and the information they gather and what they find out becomes pivotally important to what transpires later on the season. So I, I got to say, I disagree. I, I think Huey played as an important role in season two as he did in season one. I know, Rob, what did you think? You and I have never talked about this. What do you think? Oh, no, I think you're absolutely right. I I, I mean, it is. It, 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 he. I think even more so in season two because of of what's actually going on you know and what what's what's happening in the in in the series but he is the moral what you say the moral north star the moral compass of the whole show because you know he's he's also really the innocent i mean he's obviously taken a part in 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 doing all these things but but it's his he's the humanity that they're fighting for you know that that if he's destroyed it's metaphorically the rest of America. I mean, he's he is the the person that the boys are fighting for. And I think that that's it's a very important part of the show. And his his incorruptibility or will he be corrupted is going to be part of the the ongoing storylines that the boys is going to deal with as it moves into season three or four or five or however long it goes. All right. Uh, next up, Luke one two three four writes. I wonder if Chucky's strength is relative to his size, or if he keeps his adult strength. Because if it's relative, people are running from a toddler. I don't know about you, but one kick to the face will put down a toddler. I'm assuming you mean like uh, Chucky the doll. I don't know. I've always wondered about that. It cannot be that difficult to deal with a doll. How much physical strength does he have? Does he have supernatural strength? Does he not? I, listen. Blasph as blasphemous as this sounds, I don't really care about Chucky. I thought the first Child's Play was fun. I thought they were all stupid after that. I really, I, I didn't, I didn't mind the latest one with Mark Hamill voicing Chucky, although it kind of fell apart. What but about Bride whatever. of Chucky? Come on, that was pretty good. No, with with uh, Jennifer Tilly doing <laughs> the voice there, and I like Jennifer Tilly. No, no, I, I just don't care. I, I often get people writing me excited about, did you hear about this Chucky thing in the Chucky show? Blah, blah, blah. I was like, I wish I cared. I, I, but I, I don't. I'm not a big Chucky guy. But Rob, you got your finger on the pulse of this stuff. Scale-wise, how physically strong is Chucky? Does he just maintain the, the his human adult strength? Does he have supernatural strength? I don't know. How strong should uh, he be? I, yes, I think Chucky has supernatural strength. I mean, he's imbued with supernatural powers so i think he probably has supernatural strength i mean you're talking about a, a a toy that has been animated by the powers of darkness you know so i guess he wields the powers of i uh, like how could chucky even pick up anything he has no musculature so there's no you've got to chalk it up to the supernatural and i think because of that i hate to say this but i would assume chucky has superhuman strength all right. That's not a bad assumption. Next up, we got Chris Warden who writes, uh, good morning, John. I just figured out how the butcher, how, well, Billy Butch, he's not the butcher, is going to defeat Vought on the boys next season. He just needs to introduce them to his two friends, Dez and Troy, because when he puts them together, they destroy. I'm not even going to give you a drum shot on that one. That one was terrible. That one was awful. I'm not even, no drum shot for you. All right, Chris writes, I'm also, also, I'm not saying the rumors of Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield returning as Spider-Man are true, but if it is true and they do appear in costume alongside Tom Holland, in my opinion, that could be a $2 billion movie. And I think Sony knows that as well. I know. I know it. No, it wouldn't. No, it wouldn't. Um, you are still not, here's the, here's the thing with that. You are still 
only appealing to Spider-Man fans, right? Like, now, Rob, a great example of where what I'm saying isn't true is like the first Avengers movie, right? Because before the first Avengers movie came, you had Iron Man and you had Captain America, the first Avenger, and you had Thor. And you would think that, you know, anybody who liked Iron Man would have gone to see Thor and anybody who liked Captain America, the first Avenger would have seen Iron Man. So you would have figured, okay, so you put them all together. You're going to get a little bit more, but probably not that much more. And it was exponentially more. It was hugely more. But with Spider-Man, I mean, I... I don't know. I, I really don't. Like, whenever there's a movie like this coming out, whether it was, you know, uh, Detective Pikachu, you have no idea how many people told me this was going to be a one, $1.5, billion film. Because, John, it's the most prop- popular property in the world. Pokemon is the most profitable IP in the world. And that's true. It is, actually. It is. That's a factual truth. But it doesn't mean it's going to translate into movies. People, everybody thought that the new Power Rangers movie was going to be a billion-dollar film. We saw what happened there. Taking old Spider-Man movies and the characters from those and putting them into the current movie, will that exponentially, will that attract people who have never watched Spider-Man? Like people who don't care about Spider-Man are suddenly going to care about Spider-Man because Andrew Garfield is there. That there are a billion dollars worth of people, because remember, Spider-Man Far From Home made a billion dollars at the box office. Are we saying that there is a another billion dollars worth of people who didn't go to see this Spider-Man because they're only about Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. Is there an additional billion dollars of people who go who, who do not go to see the Tom Holland Spider-Man because they're only about the Tobey Maguire? Is there a billion dollars worth of those people? I don't think so. So do I think something like this could be a hit? Absolutely. Absolutely. Two billion dollars? No. No, I, 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 that's just, no, not at all. Uh, but I don't know. Rob, what do you think? Could, could that movie, could that Spider-Man movie, is there a billion dollars worth of people who avoided the Tom Holland film but would suddenly care about it if Andrew Garfield was there? I, I don't know. What do you think? No. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I, I don't believe that at all. I, I, I think that um... – you know, there are people. You either like Spider-Man movies or you don't. You're going to go see a Spider-Man movie, or or you're not. I don't think that there's a billion dollar. The reason, look, the reason movies, like you pointed out, there's only a finite amount of people that are interested in specific films. Sometimes when you have movies like Avengers: Endgame or Star Wars: The Force Awakens, these are cultural events that bring in audiences that don't normally go to these films or necessarily care about them. I mean, we think everybody loves Star Wars, but look at the the Force Awakens was a, a fluke. The $2 billion that movie made was a fluke. And that was bared out by Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And no, I completely it's not of disagree. Complete, that was not a fluke. That completely it, disagree it, no, with that. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a cultural icon coming back with the characters coming back like Leia, Luke, and, and Han. And it was, it was something – I mean these films – That's different were, from a fluke. A unique situation is different from a fluke. Well, okay, but okay, call, calling it a fluke is, is not, maybe not right. But so I don't think that adding Andrew Garfield or Tobey Maguire to a Spider Man movie is suddenly because the very fact that those people that you might have a multiverse Spider Man movie 
is not necessarily going to appeal. Like, my, again, my mother would want to go see Force Awakens, but she doesn't care about Spider-Man. If I were to tell my mother, Toby McGuire, she would be like, I don't I don't even know who those people are. But she would want to go see Star Wars because she reads that Star Wars is back. You know, but these these are these are in universe things that really only appeal, I think, to the hardcore fans. So I agree with you. There is not an extra billion people looking to see Andrew Garfield strap on that spider suit again and and go on web slinging adventures. Because you would have to make the argument. You would have to say that. Tell me if this is not generally true. People who are excited about the idea of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire popping back up in this new Spider-Man. The vast majority of those people are people who would be going to see this new Spider-Man movie anyway. Yep. Right. Like if you're if you're somebody and this isn't true of everybody, clearly not. But if you're somebody who was who is excited, you find yourself getting excited about this. The chances are you were probably going to go see this new Spider-Man movie anyway. There will be some who weren't. Is it double the amount? And I, I just don't I don't see that. And it's and ultimately you put it best, Rob, at the beginning. Ultimately, it's still just one character. It's still just Spider-Man. Yeah. It's not like Spider-Man or and Thor and Captain America and you know Ant-Man and Vision and Wanda and and like, like all these different IPs. It's still ultimately just one IP. But 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 that doesn't discount though. We should throw this in there too. What if they make this movie and it's the greatest comic book movie of all time? Well, that's that's a different thing, right? Because if it's a truly spectacular comic book movie that everybody loves and they just do a fantastic job making it, okay, well then like any comic book movie, that movie could reach $2 billion. I'm just suggesting, and I think Rob is saying this too, is that just on the premise alone of Toby and, and Andrew coming back, I don't think that equals a $2 billion movie. I think any comic book movie that is arguably one of the best comic book movies ever made gets put out there. It has the potential of being a $2 billion movie. Sure. And a new Spider-Man movie could be that also. But just on its premise alone, I don't think so. Not like, not like Avengers versus X-Men. Yeah. Right? Or something like that. I don't know. Uh, anyway, uh, Rob, we're almost out of time with Rob. So let's get in one more here with Rob while, while he's still around here. Dan Ketchum writes, Trivia. Apparently, uh, Brad uh, Dourif, uh, I can't remember, I've never pronounced his last name right, was Tim Burton's first choice for Joker. Uh, I think he would have been awesome, probably uh, much more like Ledger's Joker than Nicholson's. I don't think so. I think the Joker would have been the Joker that Tim Burton wanted. Now, Jack, obviously, Jack, Jack supersedes everything. Jack Nicholson supersedes everything. So when he gets in there, it kind of transforms that. So anybody that would have played Joker other than Jack, it would have been a bit of a different Joker. Normally, you could swap out actors, and it still generally would have been the same character. But you get a personality like Jack, and anybody you have in there other than Jack, it's probably going to be a bit different. Rob, what, how would you answer that? How do you see that? Well, I yeah, I mean, look, I love Brad Dorff. I think he's great. But, but the Jack Nicholson Joker... I mean, you get a guy like Jack Nicholson, who was one of the biggest movie stars ever, certainly of his time, and arguably the zenith of of his powers. I mean, as an actor, he just brought something that – I mean, Brad Dorff would have, would have melted into that role. Jack Nicholson was front and center. Jack Nicholson is the Joker. You know, it, it, you can't – when you think about Heath Ledger's Joker, 
you're not thinking about Heath Ledger anymore. You're thinking about the Joker because the performance is so good. The character, it was such a different way to go with that character. But when you're watching Jack Nicholson's Joker, you're watching Jack Nicholson play the Joker. Right. And it's a different, it's a whole different vibe. You know, and I think Brad Dorif would have gone the other direction and been more Heath Ledger-like and done something, you know, really interesting. And But you wouldn't have been thinking, you would have never thought, oh, it's Brad Dorif. You know, you would have thought <laughs> it's the Joker. But with Jack Nicholson's Joker, the first thing you think of is Jack Nicholson. You don't think of the Joker as played by Jack Nicholson. Rob, yeah. you are my number one guy. Rob, thanks a lot for being here today, my friend. I know you got things you got to run and do, but in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? Uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter at Burnett RM. Find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, where we're running the first annual Intergalactic Imagination Connoisseurs Film Festival. New films are dropping all week long. All right, dude. Thanks a lot for being here. We'll talk to you again tomorrow, my friend. Have a good one. All right. I'll see you later. Okay. All right, guys, let's keep on rolling here with your questions. We still have got some time here. Let's fire through as many of these as we can. Okay, we're going to move over now to uh, Dan Ketchum, who writes, oh, that was Dan. Sorry about that. Uh, Biggs writes, hey, John and crew, Logan is a great film and a masterpiece of the superhero genre, but it's a curse being a sweaty. Was anyone else disappointed Jackman's Logan didn't learn Spanish in 200 years while 616 Logan learned a dozen languages in only 140 years? Well, listen, it, again, it's, it's, it is a losing battle to try to compare the movie versions of things with the comic books. It's, it's a losing proposition. There's, there's no win to be had there. They are two different things. I'll be honest with you. The Logan that we get in the movies the logan that is portrayed by hugh jackman he does not strike me as the type of guy who likes to take weekend classes and learn new things he does he just doesn't you know what i'm gonna take up pottery i think i'm gonna learn spanish and just that logan that we get in the movies which is a different logan than the comic books he just does not strike me as the type of guy who feels up to learning new things, right? I I don't, I don't think he I don't think he probably learned it. I don't think he said, you know, I uh, I got to learn WordPress. I'm going to start a blog. I just don't see Wolverine doing that. So, no, personally, not surprised that he's not the guy who decided to take the time to learn a different language. Uh, just the movie version. I'm just talking about the movie version. That's just me. But maybe he did. I don't know. Uh, Rodrigo Ortiz writes. One of two. I'll never forget watching the first X-Men at the movies for the first time with my dad. We missed the trailers and opening credits because we needed our popcorn slash snacks. We walked in during the concentration camp scene and my dad whispered, fuck, I think we walked into the wrong movie. <laughs> I could totally see why you would. Uh, he stepped uh, and realized, no, this is X-Men. I guess that's when we knew this wasn't the typical comic book movie. Listen, seriously, I, I will often argue that that first X-Men movie, whether, I can't. I always forget whether it came out in 1999 or 2000, one of the two years. But that first X-Men movie was maybe the most important comic book movie ever. It was the movie, this golden age of comic book movies we live in now was made possible and ushered in by that X-Men movie. 
And you're absolutely, I had that same experience, Rico. I remember watching X-Men because comic books, comic book movies were a certain way, right? You had some things. I remember like Blade did things a little bit differently, but it was still very kind of done in a certain way and whatever. But, and I don't get me wrong. I love Blade 1 and 2. I do. But you talk to studio people and producers. Charles Roven is a great example of this who went on to produce a lot of big comic book thing, they all tell you it was that X-Men movie that made Hollywood sit up and go, we can make those kinds of stories with comic book characters. And you're absolutely right. That first moment that X-Men movie starts with the concentration camp of a child being torn away from his family. And you know what was happening it was like, you don't do this in comic book movies. It, it's like they loudly, Fox loudly smacked us in the face and said, you're in for a different ride than you thought you were going to get in a comic book movie. It fundamentally changed the direction comic book movies would go in in the future. It is the comic book movie that made this era of comic book films that we live in possible. And again, that's the studio producers and studio execs who will tell you that. And... It's uh, it, it's remarkable. And I had that exact same experience, man. When I walked in, there's like, oh, my gosh, what are we in for here? What are we in for here? Uh, anyway, uh, Frank writes, I have not high hopes for movie theaters, even if they survive the pandemic. The last couple of years proved that there are less and less people interested in going to the movies. But on a minor scale, see, that's the thing. A lot of people say, well, movie theaters are dying anyway. You do realize that 2019 was the third largest box office in history in movies, right? Like, keep that in mind. 2019 was a banner year for the movie theaters. And it wasn't just like Disney's lineup of billion dollar films. Even those films aside, their their per film average was extremely good. Now, the movie theaters have also been experiencing a percentage drop of the number of patrons overall who go to the theaters. And, and that's to be expected, right? There are a couple things at play there. More home entertainment uh, things, more things competing for the for the dollar, for the disposable. Because let's face it, movie theaters and movie movies in general are about disposable income, right? They're about disposable income. They're not necessities like food and water and your bills. They're disposable income. And when you're talking about movies and movie theater going, it's competition is not just other things that tell on-screen stories. It's anything that is competing for that disposable income. And we have more things today that compete for that disposable income than any other time in history. And they've held up. Now, I have made an argument. You guys have seen me argue on my show that of different things I believe movie theaters need to do, not just to be more profitable, but to start drawing more and more people back to the theaters. And we saw that really starting to happen in 2019 with the introduction of the real wider adaptation of membership programs, like things like AMC A-List, because I've been saying for a long time. The movie theater industry needs to go through metamorphosis and embrace the membership model. Right. The monthly membership model. That's a huge thing right now. We saw the move start to happen. AMC theaters was reporting massive results from that A-list membership. They, their membership rates went through the roof. More and more people going to the movie theater, spending more money on popcorn and things like that. And, blah, blah, blah. and they need to continue to innovate in that way. 
But make no mistake about it. If the pandemic had not hit, the movie theater industry would still be as healthy today as it was in 2019. I mean, that's just factual truth. That, you just look at the numbers. I mean, that's just that's not a matter of opinion. That's factual truth. Doesn't mean they don't have work to do. They do. But they've been on pretty secure ground. The pand- but, but can they survive the pandemic? I, I'm not convinced they can survive the pandemic. I believe two things. If they do survive the pandemic, at least for the foreseeable future, the movie theater industry will be fine, at least for the foreseeable future. But the second truth I believe is surviving the pandemic is not a guarantee. The movie theaters are in very, very big trouble right now. And it's not because of their business. It's because of the pandemic. And I just don't know, like you, you, you run a business that requires people to come to you in, in certain numbers and you go eight months without being able to operate your business. You think your business is going to close? Of course it's going to close. And that's what movie theaters are facing. And I am not confident at all. I'm not saying that they will be shut down. I'm saying I'm not confident. I am not confident that they'll be able to survive this pandemic. If they do survive it, I think they'll be fine. It, it, but again, the analogy I like to use is that analogy of, of Han Solo going into Carbonite with C-3PO saying, oh, he should be perfectly fine. You know, if he survived the freezing process, that's a big deal. You got to survive the freezing process. If the theaters can survive the freezing process, if they can survive the pandemic, and I'm not confident they can, then I believe they'll be fine. I, I believe they'll come out the other side. There's going to be a whole lot of movies that a lot of people have been very excited to see that people have been dying to get back to the movie theaters. I think they'll be okay. I just don't know that they're going to live that long. I, I, and I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm not trying to be any of that thing. I'm just trying to be a realist. I don't know. I'm not confident that they're going to be able to survive that long. Will they? Won't they? We'll find out as time progresses. Uh, okay, move on. Uh, Michael Bradley writes, Hello, John. Saw Tenet for the fourth time this weekend. It's becoming one of my favorite Nolan movies. And listen, while there are some people who grumble about being able to understand what's going on and the mixing, audio mixing, blah, blah, there are a lot of people who love this movie. And I have still only seen it the once. I need to see it again. I absolutely have to see it again. Because I'm one of those people that I like Tenet. I think Tenet's good, but I also didn't love it for a number of those other reasons. I need to see it again, and maybe my thought will jump up as well, Bradley. I'm glad you enjoy it that much, though. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, In the spirit of the season, enjoy this nightmare. I'm Taki Tina, and I love ketchup on ice. Taki Tina. I'll tell you what, I st- I'll still have nightmares about Taki Tina. For those of you who don't know, Taki Tina is my all-time favorite episode of the original um, Twilight Zone that I used to watch on reruns when they used to play these black and white reruns when I was a kid and the Taki Tina one, listen, movies don't scare me. There are a couple of exceptions. Generally speaking, movies don't scare me. Television shows don't scare me. I wish they did. I'd love to have that more of that experience. It's very rare that a television show or a video game or a movie will actually scare me, make me feel freaked out. The descent is one of those American Werewolf in London is definitely one of those. The episode of Talky Tina. I'm Talky Tina, and I'm going to kill you. Fuck! 
You know, I just... That one freaks me the hell out, man. That one continues to freak me the hell out. Um, okay, next up. Useless Nobody writes, Saw the documentary. I liked how it had YouTubers and industry people. It had an interesting back and forth between those who make trailers and those who consume them. Did you, ha uh, did you have a unique perspective being a YouTuber? I also reviewed it on my channel. Um, I... First of all, thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the documentary. You must have uh, have attended the Portland Film Festival. Um, I don't know if I had a unique perspective as a YouTuber because I myself am not like, say, um, a trailer reactor. I think people like um, Drew from from uh, Ecomog, you know, Ecomog from day one. I believe. He has a unique perspective. I believe Greg from Real Rejects, they have a unique perspective because they are trailer reactors. I don't know that just being a YouTuber gave me any kind of a unique perspective. I think being somebody who works in the in and around the film industry, I have a little bit of a different perspective, but I don't know if as a YouTuber as much. Anyway, I'm glad you like the film, man. Thank you for sharing that. Ryan, uh, Evan Ryan writes, Hey, John and gang. Kevin Feige announced the Fantastic Four was coming up uh, at last year's Comic-Con. Will we see them pop up in something else like Ant-Man 3, Spider-Man 3, or Doctor Strange before their own movie? I don't think so. Now, will we see them pop up in something, in something, before they get their own movie? That's possible. We, they did that with Black Panther. They did that with Spider-Man. Uh, they did that, obviously, with Black Widow before. She's been in tons of movies before her own standalone movie. Could they do that with Fantastic Four? Yes. Do I think it's going to be in Ant-Man 3, Spider-Man 3, or Doctor Strange? No. I don't. It doesn't fit, seem to fit Kevin Feige's timeline uh, of when he said, look, I've already got a certain number of years planned out, and then we'll get to Fantastic Four and, of course, X-Men as well. Now, does that mean we won't get any Fantastic Four stuff in Ant-Man 3, Spider-Man 3, or Doctor Strange, M Multiverse Madness. No, I mean, it's still possible. It is it is still possible. I'm just saying if I had to put five bucks on it, I would bet against it. Um, for the same reason that I've been betting against them popping up in any other MCU movie up to this point. It doesn't fit within that time frame that Kevin Feige gave us. Again, not impossible, and Kevin Feige can change his mind. But for me as an individual, I wouldn't count on that at this point. All right. Uh, Drake Watch writes, Bonjour, Jean, Jean Campia. Jean is one way of saying John in French, just so you know. Uh, bonjour, Drake. Comment tu parles-tu? All right. Uh, did you see uh, the Canadian news show skit on SNL this weekend? I did not. Bowen Yang nailed the French-Canadian accent, at least how it sounds to us Europeans, plus the Drake Watch segment. Have you seen Drake? No, Drake is not here. Oh, that's funny. No. And by the way, like Saturday Night Live is run by and has a history of having tons of Canadians on that show, going right back to the original cast. No, I have not seen that. Uh, I should now that I know that it exists, I will probably have to go and watch that. I am amazed though right now. I think you guys have heard me talk about this that I am so late to the party for um, Shit's Creek. I've never watched Shit's Creek, even though it's a Canadian show produced by the cbc it's a cbc original it's a canadian show never watched it and then all of a sudden it's winning all the emmys like it literally won all the emmys and so i finally went okay well it's a canadian show i should check it out canada right now is making the best sitcoms in the world i've never said that before 
But my two favorite things on television right now, granted, Schitt's Creek just had its finale, but I'm just watching it now. So it counts for me. Right now, Canada is putting out the two best sitcoms in the world between Schitt's Creek and Kim's Convenience. These are the two best comedies on television in the world right now. I, and I, I and I missed out on them when they first came out. I how did I miss out on them? I feel ashamed. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. But I got to go watch that uh, thing, Drake. All right, Seth Tipton writes. Hey, John, excellent episode last Friday. Your response about Spidey rumors were hilarious, particularly the potential Sony slash Disney split press stunt bullshit and the Iger Holland sob story. PR is marketing at its finest. You slayed a dude. Well, thank you so much. It's, too, it's unfortunate for those of you guys. I, I should mention this for those of you who watched last week's episode, for whatever reason, even though all my audio settings were correct, my audio last Friday was peaking and distorting terribly. And I have no idea what happened. I, I don't know why it happened. It's it's one of the perils of doing things live without a, without a crew and without a team of people in here to run a tech. I run the technical aspect and, while doing it all live and try to host at the same time. Anyway, but it was a fun show. I had fun with it. And I again, I have never bought in. I'll say it again. I've never bought in to that whole. Oh, Bob Iger got his call from uh, some kid actor who he doesn't give a shit about saying, oh, Mr. Iger, I'd really like you to keep Spider-Man in the MCU. Oh, okay, kid. I wasn't going to do it. But now that you gave me a phone call, yeah, maybe I'll do that now. How naive do we have to be to actually believe that bullshit? I mean, that this is I am more and more believing this was all when you start to see how intertwined they're starting to make the spunk Sonyverse stuff with the MCU. We got Michael Keaton popping up in the Morbius trailer. And now we're talking about multiple Spider-Men maybe popping up in new things and how interconnected and interwoven they're making these things even more connected. I am becoming more and more convinced that whole story around D23 last year about, oh, Disney and, and Marvel have decided to part ways. Remember they said that? And then at the last minute, oh, no, we've come to an agreement that I'm I'm honestly becoming more and more convinced that was all bullshit. That was all a PR stunt. That was all a PR stunt to get people talking about Spider-Man and the MCU. And, oh, it's so important for both of them. All. Oh, and then, yay, they put them back together. Yay, yay. Now we're finding out how intertwined they're really planning on making them. I don't know. Again, tinfoil hat theory of the day, but it is it is one of the things. Uh, all right. Um, let's see. Uh, hold on a second. Okay, next up, we've got... I am having trouble getting this to move. There we go. Okay. Uh, Brian Learn Stuff writes, It's amazing to think that the last theatrically released MCU film was Spider-Man Far From Home, July 2nd, 2019. Aside from that, I was wondering if you've seen The Fall 2006 and what your thoughts were. I'm thinking I know which movie you're talking about. Um, okay, I think I know what we're talking about. Let me just double check, though. Because I've, I've sometimes thought I knew what movie we were talking about and then realized I was completely wrong. Uh, let's see here. Oh, because I was thinking of... Never mind. I was thinking of this movie with uh, Gillian, uh, Gillian Anderson, and that was not the movie you were talking about. You were talking about the film directed by Tarsem Singh. 
who I am not a fan of Tarsem Singh's directing, to be honest with you. Um, I didn't like that one he did with Jennifer Lopez. I think it was called The Cell that everybody talks about. And then he did uh, Immortals with Henry Cavill. And I do not think he did a good job directing that movie. I'm not a fan of his. So, no, I have I have not seen the one he did with Lee Pace. If that's the one we're talking about with Tarsem Singh, I've not seen that one. Probably avoided it because it was Tarsem Singh. Uh, but no, I have not seen that one. Um, OK, next up. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Chris Daniels writes, my theory is that Superman and Wonder Woman and Reeves's movie are sort of like Bigfoot to us. Some people believe in them uh, in this world, and some people do, do no solid proof that they exist. I don't know about that. And the reason I don't know about that is because in a world where everybody carries around global communication devices in their pockets with audio and video recording capabilities, and to have specific details of the costume and all that kind of thing, I don't know if that could actually be the case. I don't think that they would be like a Wonder Woman or, or a, a Superman would be a Snuffleupagus. You know what I mean? I don't think that would be one of the options. It, I like that you're thinking outside of the box. I like that you're thinking outside of the box, but I don't know that it would actually have that meaning. But who knows? We'll keep our eyes open. All right. The Black Knight writes. If Maguire and Garfield end up teaming up with Holland in Spider-Man 3, do you think they will de-age them so that they are the same age or just go with the current ages? I know the script will decide, but which would you prefer? I don't see there being any need to de-age them. I mean, if, and that's still a huge if, but if Garfield and Maguire are in this film and if they actually appear as Spider-Man and if they actually are in the costumes, there's no need to de-age them. It's just that's that universe's Spider-Man who's been Spider-Man for 25 years. That's that universe's Spider-Man who's been Spider-Man for 10 years. And now you got this universe's Spider-Man that's been Spider-Man for this long, right? So there would be no a no need to do any kind of digital de-aging and incorporate that. There's just no there's just no reason why you do it. You would have to come up with an important reason why it's important that they be the same age that they were in those previous movies. Otherwise, just have him appear. And by the way, Tobey Maguire still looks amazing. <laughs> Tobey Maguire looks great uh, for his age. And yeah, so there's, if there was, if for some reason, the only re way Tobey Maguire could be in here is if he still looks 15 years younger, but there's not. I mean, Tobey Maguire could have all gray hair and that doesn't matter. He's still Spider-Man, right? So if, and remember, this is still a big if. This has not been confirmed by anybody. Everybody's running around with Garfield thing. And, and it very well could happen. We live in a world where Jamie Foxx is coming back as Electro. So it is very possible we could get Garfield and Maguire. Just understand that it has not been confirmed at all. Even Sony kind of semi-denied it the other day, but it was only a semi-denial. Anyway, but if they do it, I just don't see any reason why they need to de-age them. All right. Uh, Spiffy McGriff writes and sends in $20. Thank you so much for supporting the channel on that level, man. We appreciate that. All right. Hey, John. Regarding Superman and Wonder Woman media existing in the Batman, couldn't they substitute Batman media with the Grey Ghost? That seems like an easy sidestep and could lead to an awesome Keaton cameo in the form of a black and white TV serial. I, I mean, look, you don't even have to substitute with anything. Like, like Rob was bringing up, if Superman and Wonder Woman exist in the Batman universe as just fictional comic book characters, then how do you explain the absence of Batman? You don't need to explain the absence of Batman. 
You just say in that world, Superman and Wonder Woman and Hawk Girl and all that kind of stuff are just fictional comic book characters. They're not really. But Batman isn't. It's just that simple. It's like in The Boys, Billy Joel and all the movies we know and love are all real things in The Boys, but there is no Superman character in The Boys. There's no, you know what I mean? It's, it's just that simple. In this world, this exists and this does not. You don't have to come up with an explanation. You don't have to come up with a substitute. You just say, this is the way it is in our universe. Done. Super easy fix. No problem. All right. Uh, last question of the day, guys. Andrew writes, why wouldn't the studios try and support the theaters financially to try and preserve one of their main sources of income? Obviously, streaming is a new direction for most of them, but I'm surprised there doesn't seem to be any consideration for this. Listen, here's the thing, Andrew. What most people are forgetting is that studio theaters aren't the only ones having their nuts put in a vice right now. It's the studios also. Studios are hurting. Have you heard about how much money Disney's been losing over the course of the pandemic? Every studio is hurting. They're all hurting. And so they're just like everybody else. Movie studios are in. Listen, they're trying their best to support theaters while also trying to make sure they themselves survive. Like we all just have this assumption and, and, and all of us have, have done this. We Everybody has this assumption that movie theaters are just this endless source of money and finances. They just have all the money in the world. They don't. They have a finite amount of money. And they deal with finances and things on levels that are just almost beyond our imaginations. But when you start ending up in a year where you are down $5 billion than where you thought you would be, you got to start to evaluate what can you even do? Yes, it is absolutely in the studio's best interests. Like we heard um, uh, the freaking guy um, from Warner Brothers talking about this, about how it's in their own best interest that the theaters survive and do well. And of course, all the studios know this. It is in their best interests that there is an active, living, thriving theatrical industry. They know this, but at the same time, they can only do so much. They got to look to their own survival first. Do what they can. Warner Brothers put out Tenet to try to help the theaters survive. They are doing what they can, but there's only so much they can do, right? Without threatening their own financial security. So it's a, it's a, it's a tough thing. Everybody thinks there's an easy answer to stuff. And it's way more complicated than that. And it's going to be uh, tough. But I do believe theaters, uh, studios will try where they can to help theaters. But again, they're all just trying to figure it out too. It's a, it's a tough situation. All right, guys, listen, that'll do it for today's installment of the John Campia show. Thank you so much for being here and making this show a part of your Monday. Thanks to Robert Meyer Burnett to being here. Thanks to all of you for making this show a part of your day. A special thank you to all you guys who sent in the live questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And all of us here, thank you guys so much for that. That will do it for me for today, guys. Thanks so much for being here. Make sure you do the four important things, everybody. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and please take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.